0: Hey, everybody, it's Charlie here, and welcome back to another episode of the Food Business Podcast. This episode is part of our series called Is It Worth It, Charlie, where I help students inside our retail-ready community think through pivotal decisions they are about to make in their business to help them determine whether or not moving forward with that decision is worth it. Now, if you are joining us for the first time, I'm Charlie Birkinshaw, and in addition to running my own CPG business, Element Shrub, I also support and advise our students inside our Retail Ready course and community. In today's episode, I will be sitting down again with fellow Retail Ready student, Julieta Octavio of Sebont, who was on the podcast at the end of last season, uh, to talk about whether or not distribution is worth it. So, If this is something you have ever thought about or debated uh, yourself, well, I am excited for you to listen in and let's find out, is it worth it?
1: I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. Before we get further in the episode, I've got a free resource that builds on today's show. It's the mini version of my reorder checklist. We all know it's one thing to land on a new retail shelf, and it's a whole other thing to make sure you're selling through once you're there. In my mini reorder checklist, you'll learn the key ways to onboard a new retailer so that you're much, much more likely to get those reorders coming in fast grab the cliff notes version of our reorder checklist in our show notes or if you're a retail ready student who's listening find our long form version and our training directly on our course platform.
0: Julieta, welcome or rather welcome welcome back to the podcast. It's uh it's great to have you on the uh, on the show today. Thanks, Charlie. Of course. So, last time uh, you were on the show, we talked about whether or not moving forward with sort of creating a ready-to-drink product was the the right move or not. And today, we are going to talk about whether or not working with a distributor is is the right move for for you. So uh, before we jump into the... Distribution conversation uh, for those of you uh, listeners who maybe didn't hear your introduction last time. Would you mind just uh, introducing yourself to uh, to everybody here and giving us a quick overview of your brand Sable? Bon?
2: Sure, my name is Julietta Octavio, and I'm a doctor of integrative medicine. Um, and I started a wellness company that makes adaptogen and mushroom elixirs and bitters, and uh, they are really They're really a way to make a fabulous, elevated, uh, sophisticated taste palette, cocktail or non-alcoholic drink um, with materials that are sustainably grown, locally made and um, really good for you. So that's that's what I'm passionate about. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the world. Amazing.
0: And you just joined us in Retail Ready at the beginning of this year, I believe. Right. That's right. Yeah, I did. Awesome. And how, how's it been going for you so
2: far? Well, it's been great. Um, it's, you know, when I started, I knew nothing about nothing coming from uh, (laughs) a wellness company background and then, you know, starting a product line for the first time. Um, so there's just so many little things, um, that I needed to go, you know, how does that work? How does this work now? You know, as I've been in a, a little bit longer, um, then I'm getting, you know, I'm starting to ask the new questions about, you know, how do I inch forward towards scaling, um, Especially.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's, it's, it's June. I think you joined us like right at the beginning uh, of 2023. And we've already had a conversation about distribution or having a conversation about distribution now. We talked about creating a new product line for you. So uh, exciting to see you growing. I know sort of the non-alcoholic space is super exciting right now. The wellness space is super exciting. So it seems like you are in a great place to uh to take advantage of that growth. Um okay, so let's set the stage for our listeners here. Today the topic is distribution, right? Which I know is is such a huge topic for so many of our retail ready students and likely so many of our Food BizWiz podcast listeners. So uh Fuleta, before I jump in, do you wanna give us a quick overview, maybe of Kind of where Sabbon stands in relation to distribution, why this topic came up for you. Um, and kind of what you think your next steps might be or what how you're assessing sort of the pros and cons of of how to move forward.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, when I first started, I really I was personally um, selling and and getting into each account myself. Um, and so, I love that process. I love meeting um, other business owners. I love doing tastings. I love talking about the product. Like I am I am the best salesperson for the product, yeah. but there's only so many hours in the day that I have. Um, and it was interesting because at first I got some really negative advice about distributors and mostly it was coming from the bars and restaurants. Um, and they were like, oh, they're terrible. Never ever work with a distributor. <laughs> and so, you know, I took that, I was like, okay, they must know. Um, but then at a certain point I realized, you know, I just don't have, I, I just I just can't do this all. Um, or I can't do everything I want to do um, in terms of sales and distribution, um, just just me. So that's when I started to to hunt around. Um, and I had an initial conversation with one, and I'm kind of in the spirits, spirits adjacent world. So I was mm-hmm. talking to distributors. And it was interesting, you know, we can get into it later, but there was sort of, there was that chicken and egg first conversation, so. Yeah, so
0: um, t- tell me tell me what you mean by the chicken and egg. I-, I know maybe brands can sort of relate to this, but tell me from your perspective what, <laughs> what that means.
2: Sure, so, um, you know, my first intro, uh, I- I'm very, my product works very well with mezcal. And so I was introduced um, and became, fast friends with, uh, the guys who run Madre. Um, and they, and so Alex brought me into a meeting with all of the, his, um, heads of dis of distribution for, uh, what was, uh, it's now I think ba- breakthrough beverage. Um, they just changed hands. Um, so I'm having dinner with these folks and, you know, they're tasting my product. Um, so it was great to just get, you know, like have a face-to-face meeting. Right um, cause that's kind of hard to get anyway. Um and then everyone loved it and they were like, well, what are we, you know, the price point's too high, it's too it's too special, it's too precious, um, you know, you're not well known enough or whatever. And so that was a tough one. Um, you know, and I'm like, well, but you know, here I am. I'm in, I'm in these, I'm at outside lands. I'm you know, I'm like like I had some pretty good accounts under my belt at that point. Um sure. and um and then it what it came down to was the the kind of company culture of that distributor. Um, basically, they're like this is a privately owned, old family um, business, and they're pretty conservative. And they're not like for them. Uh, my product was as closer to CBD. Um, mm,
0: sure, and like, okay.
2: And like, our owners don't want to get involved in that. They only want to do alcohol. And so you know, you kind of learn like what's the personality, what what's the comp- the distributor. You know, they they their business with their own value sets and their own. Um, thing too. And, you know, of course they're like everybody in the, in the industry, in any industry, they're trying to mitigate risk. Sure. So um, that's what it came down to. So they're like, if you're less risky to us, then we'd be glad to carry you. So check back in two months or three months. Um, And then, yeah, so that, that was sort of the, the thing. And then when I did and I had even more accounts and we were ready to roll, then, then they got bought out by another company, another (laughs) They're so got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. They're, that's tough.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, right? Like distributors are trying to run a business, right. And just like any other business, they're trying to mitigate risk. And I think it is difficult when you, uh, I've experienced this myself with element shrub, where you are one of the only non-alcoholic brands in an alcohol sort of portfolio. Right. And, you know, they're typically selling to bars and restaurants and you're, you're never going to be sort of the lead, right, product that gets presented, but you might be a nice sort of add-on eventually. But still, it's hard to commit to that warehouse space for them for uh, a product that may or may not sell, right? And I think, you know, we even touched on this uh, during our last episode, right? But, you know this idea of moving forward with the ready to drink versus sort of sticking with your own product and establishing like your the, a name for your yourself and your brand and really um, kind of working out all of the kinks, right? Of, of what you already have going. And because I will say once you switch from sort of self-distribution to having a distributor, making any change just becomes way more expensive and way more time consuming than you you want it to be. So, I guess my first tip right off the bat would be if you're going to make any changes to your your product, your case size, your packaging, any of that, you know, you want to do that first before you right before you get in.
2: Well, it's interesting cuz I'm now, you know, I'm with a broker now and they're shopping me to different distributors and the cool thing about that is you get really brutal feedback right off the bat so you know they're coming back and they're like your matte bottles are amazing but your matte labels are crap you know they they smudge um in shipping um they're like do you want to have a safety seal you know um why can't i read you know this is unreadable and you know and so it's just really good um like one of the products is clumpy is that normal should it say naturally clumpy on the bottle you know sure sure yeah, so no, it, I mean, absolutely, right?
0: It's it's great to get that that feedback. Hopefully you get it at the right time when you can make the changes without having to either buy back pallets of product that they're like, yeah, this label's smudgy. We're not gonna sell it. You have to buy all of it back and like relabel it, right? That's, that's the worst. <laughs> that's a great
2: point, because at first I was like, God, are you kidding me? Like I've gone through three iterations of label I have probably, I don't know, thousands of dollars worth of useless labels in a box that I just don't have the heart to throw away. And now they're telling me to use a different, you know, like like kind of uh, digivinyl material. And I'm thinking to myself, God, this sucks, you know. Um, However, you just brought up the silver lining of it, which is way better to spend thousands of dollars reprinting labels on a better non-smudgy material. Now, before I've shipped the things, across the country and have to ship it all back and then put a new label on it. So thank you for changing my mindset. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really, really fortunate to have gotten this very expensive advice now, saving me (laughs) very, very, very expensive
0: (laughs) problems. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's tough. (laughs) Distributors are, uh, I mean, I would say like relentless and like, they don't have the time. I mean, they're, again, they're running a business. They've got these huge warehouses right they don't have time to you're you're i'll say you're very lucky that these distributors are providing that feedback to you rather than just being like no this is broken or this is this doesn't work for us buy it all back right at least you're getting specific feedback on what you need to change um and i think you know i think every brand can use you know good candid feedback right because most of the time, we have our blinders on, or we think, "Oh, this looks really pretty," or one customer said they really love this, so I'm going to keep it forever, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and so I, I think one, you're you're lucky that you're getting that feedback. Um, two, yeah, get it get it changed asap while you're still doing small batches, and not like you know, imagine if maybe you weren't producing it yourself and you had a co-packer doing it, and now all of a sudden you're you're paying for this minimum order quantity of thousands and thousands of bottles to have it redone, right? So um, yeah, so anyway, um, this this idea of this chicken and egg situation, right? That you brought on, right? I, I hear this a lot from other brands as well, which is like, hey, we've got a retailer who's interested in our product, but says we need to have a distributor in order for them to bring it in or vice versa, uh, we found this distributor, but the distributor saying, "Hey, you don't have enough accounts to for us to justify kind of moving this through their warehouse, right? Because at the end of the day, the distributor's primary concern and primary goal is to move your product through their warehouse as quickly as possible, right? And if you don't have any accounts to sell to, then they just have this pallet of product, pallets of products sitting." In their warehouse, that are taking up space that some other product, especially in the alcohol space that could be moving really quickly at a much higher you know dollar price point, um, you know, you you've you've got you've got to have those accounts that are ready for the distributor to go deliver to, so that it's it's moving through the account as quickly as possible. And that's why they say, hey, Hey, if you don't have any accounts, like it's not our job to be the salesperson here, right? And I think uh, that's another question, concern, topic that comes up a lot with uh, that I see with brands and distribution, where they they say, "Hey, like I have a distributor, I can go on vacation, like they're gonna do all my sales for me. This is like the end of the road, right?" And I think that's a big mistake for a lot of brands to assume uh, because at the end of the day, right, it's going to be your job to like knock on doors and, and continue, continue to sell.
2: Yeah. I think that that is something um, that, that myth is propagated or propagated um, uh, all over the place that, that distribution um, conflates to sales and, I, I, it does not, I think like I have the way I think about it, or I've learned to think about it is not that like, so, so, you know, when I was kind of being sold on the distributor model, it was like, oh, they have a, you know, this distributor has a book of 200 different bars that they, they service. And so initially you'd think, oh, well, that's great. They're going to talk me up in every one of those. Right. No, right. <laughs> they're, they just walk in with their catalog and say, well, what do you want? So unless my name is on the top of the mind of the bar owner, yes, the yes. Is, they're not going to flip through the book and be like, "I want that one I've never heard of and have no idea what to do with." Right, right. <laughs> so, that was a big. That was a big mental construct correction. Um, you know, at, just to to think about that, like, oh, I'm the one who has to sell it. I have to keep going and talking to them. And and the spirits industry is brutal. Um, you know, it's it's even harder than the, than I think the kind of grocery, in my opinion, um, with the the way that they operate. Um, so I'm kind of straddling both, and I'm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're definitely two separate channels, right?
0: And need to be treated as two separate. <laughs> need to be treated that way, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to when it comes to i don't know distribution and sort of this it
2: it's like i'm try, I, i'm the one who's still responsible for creating buzz around my product. yeah exactly and and i you know even bringing it back to sort of what we talk
0: about a lot in retail ready right is if you know getting into a distributor is like getting onto the shelf right but you still have to get off the shelf, right? Like once you get on the shelf in Buy right or Whole Foods or Air One or wherever it is, it's, it's not the buyer, the category buyer who purchased your product's job to move it off the shelf, right? It's your job to have a marketing plan in place so that your product moves off the shelf. The same way when you get in with a distributor, it's now your job to make sure that you have a sales team and a marketing plan and a way to get that product moving through the warehouse as quickly as possible.
2: Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, given all this, the all uh, given that we're running through all the things that distributors don't do, I'd be curious to run through <laughs> what they actually do as to help my decision-making process. Um, I mean, so at the part- end
0: of the day, right, their main job, and sometimes they do a great job of this, sometimes they don't, uh, is to either pick up your product from your warehouse, depending on how you have things set up with them, or you deliver it to their house, their warehouse, and then move the product from their warehouse to the retailer. Now, they, of course, have sales reps and people that are going around pushing a product that they sell in their warehouse that's on their list in their catalog, as you said. Uh, And, you know, their job is to move it through that warehouse as quickly as possible. And so they, you know, typically ask brands to give up a lot in order to do that, right? Which mean, which might mean, you know, doing heavy promotions because it's obviously easier to sell a product that's on sale than one that is not right. It's easier to give away free product. It might, you might have to do a free fill, right. In certain cases, which helps move product through that, through that warehouse, uh, you might have to either give a discount to the distributor to incent, then give a discount to the retailer, right. There's, there's so many sort of promotional, uh, opportunities and pushes from, from the distributor to, uh, to incentivize this, like this movement through the warehouses as quickly as possible, and uh, I think, you know, going back to what the distributor should be doing, right? It's delivering product on time to the retailers that are buying their product. If they do anything else, that's A bonus in my opinion.
2: Do you get, when you work with a distributor, do you get um, connected directly to the sales reps who are repping you or is that a layer of? It it depends.
0: Sometimes distributors are more involved. Again, you, as a small brand, you really need to be a squeaky wheel, right? You need to be on your, on their radar. You need to be liked by them. You need to be remembered by them. You need to uh, make sure that everybody has samples of your product to try. You need to make sure that everybody has samples ready to ship out to those retailers, right? You, it's It's really important to treat the distributor as if they're an extension of your sales team, but don't expect them to kind of go out there and do it for you, right? They're they're literally the the truck that is driving your product from the warehouse to the retailer. So you just need to be like, hey, I got this retailer, I got this retailer, I got this retailer. Go go uh, go, make that delivery.
2: So that's coming from that direction. Do um, does it often come from the other direction, where the retailer is asking for us because we've created buzz? So yeah, there. So going back to sort of this chicken and egg
0: situation, right? There are a couple ways to get around that. The, the main one is that you bring on what's called like an anchor account, which is a group of say 30 to 40 stores. They are regional Whole Foods, uh, Wegmans, where that's enough stores and volume for a distributor to say, okay, if Wegmans brings us in, then, you know, Unify, we want you to, like bring on Sabon so she can sell our product to, to us. So that's 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 one way to get in. But in order to do that and to get a big anchor account, you usually need to be well-known and you need to convince them, that retailer, that your product is going to sell and move through, you know, move off their shelf as quickly as possible, right? Um, what you're is that gr- growing pains
2: are unavoidable.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah, I know. They're, you know, I think... I I realized this at one point and and it seemed really obvious, but when I said it out loud, it sort of felt like a relief that they're, you know, in this world. And I guess with running any sort of business, right. There's no finish line. Right. So, Hey, like we got into whole foods or whatever it is. Okay. Now we got a distributor, right. Okay. You got in. you gotta, like, you can't sit on your laurels. You gotta, you gotta keep moving. You gotta keep selling. And, um, yeah, so the the other option for this sort of chicken and egg dilemma is you build up a base yourself self distributing to 30 40 50 doors and then you say okay uh, retailers who's your preferred distributor you get that list and hopefully of those 30 to 50 stores you know the majority of them use the same distributor and then you approach that distributor and say and that, that, and that's where you can say hey you were looking for more doors. Well, I have them here. They are. And by the way, I already checked and they do have a relationship with you.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, and the other thing I could do too is ask the distributor figure out what their book is and target those to get accounts and then be like, Hey, I've got all of your accounts here.
0: <laughs> so that is, so it, one I think it's hard to get that information without having like signing a contract with them uh mm-hmm. two retailers you 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 want to ask the retailer who their preferred distributor is because you know and you know this applies to to brokers and uh, merchandise wh- whoever it is right because let's say the retailer now and depending who it is maybe it's a big box, uh, chain, maybe it's a small independent retailer bringing for, for them to bring on a new distributor, it's going to take them a lot of paperwork and maybe there's a minimum and the, that retailer is not going to bring on this sort of new distributor for you, uh, to just to bring your product in. If it means they have to go spend $400 worth of, you know, buying other product from that distributor.
2: I actually meant Did I ask, misunderstand. Yeah, I I meant asking the distributor, who are your top like like if I could get these 10 accounts that you hold currently in self-distribution, would you take me on and say, like, who do you think I should target? Um, and, and would that be proof for you? And then if they say, yeah, okay, go to Hazy's, go to Barcran, go to you know, yada yada, they rattle off their top favorite, and then I get them and be like, okay, let's let's go. <laughs> so so, I will say, if
0: you can get that information without having a contract with them, yes, like go for it <laughs> for sure. Um yeah, all day. okay, cool. <laughs> uh, if, if yeah, I think that's that's the hard part though, is is getting that without a contract potentially. but if you if you can do it or if you have a friend or something, yeah. Um, okay. so, for you let's let's get back to this sort of you know is distribution worth it for you julieta we've we've talked about this sort of chicken and egg situation uh, we've talked about sort of this situation where you've approached some distributors some distributors have reached out to you 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 have a broker but you're being introduced to distributors but you're not sure you know whether it's sort of worth it To do it. So, I think one of the other things that I hear a lot from brands or concerns I hear are, you know, for example, I'm looking at this distribution contract and after seeing all of the fees that they're going to charge all of these promotions, am I actually going to make any money? And, you know, is that true? And how do other brands? do this, right? Because clearly there are other brands, many brands out there that are distributing and in theory doing well, but at the same time, you know, you never know what's going on under the hood. So I always remind, you know, brands that are, that are early on that, you know, things might look great, but you never know what's going on under the hood and don't make any sort of assumptions that things are going amazing for, for everybody that's in distribution. So what, based on sort of that how how do you feel about that sort of sentiment that hey you maybe you've seen a couple of contracts but
2: yeah um so i've seen a couple of contracts and the there was one that had no upfront signing fee um but it had lots of you know little kind of chipping away of uh, <laughs> right yeah. Um, and then, but more commonly I've seen, you know, well, you know, there's a, I forget what the term is, but you know, there's $4,000 fee right off the bat for us to take you on. And then there's free fills and then there's, you know, a minimum of, of two to four promotions, um, uh, a year. And then there's uh, mandatory trade show attendance and, you know, um, and shipping and buyback. And, um, and so, At each of those junctures, I don't know what that means in real time for me. So it just strikes an unknown fear, Um, you know. And and also the idea of like paying upfront is so I you know I just had a conversation because my like I said I just I started working with a broker about a month and a half ago and basically he brought me these two offers. Uh, one from Palco one from threshold, I think. Um, And I was like, yeah, I'm not really in the position to be paying $10,000, you know, to, to join a distributor and plus all these other fees or whatever. So, and basically what we decided is I I said, you know, before, before I start working with a distributor, I think maybe let's, let's focus on, you know, multiple door chain stores in, in, like on coastal areas. Cause he was like pushing these big distributors or these medium distributors in the, in the Midwest. And I'm like, yeah, mm. okay. No, right. I think that's not, that's not my, I don't think that that I'm going to shine there. Um, and so we just, just did a complete regroup and, you know, he's focusing really on coastal, you know, multi-door specialty grocery, um, without distributors, um, you yeah. know, to just, Direct and like let's let's run it through that first and then build into distributors when we have a little bit more um understanding of how well I'm selling. Sure. Um, that, yeah.
0: yeah, I I that makes sense. I think, you know, at the end of the day, right, all distributors are gonna have some sort of fees and promotional requests and and all of that. Uh and ultimately, right, it comes. Be, being aware of those, and I think not glossing over the fact that, like, sort of these these blinders of like, yay, like a distributor like wants me, like not the other way around, and you just sort of like sign the paper and not realize what you're signing or what you're getting yourself into, and you assume the best, and you assume that you know the distributor is going to take care of you and uh, and help push your product and and all of that. I think one, uh, hats off to you for, you know, stepping back and being like, hey, is this really, is this really the right move for me? Uh, two, everybody's going to, ha- all distributors are going to have, you know, their own set of costs, et cetera. But, you know, I think it's really important that you and and any brand out there listening, you really, really understand your cost, your cost of goods sold going into this so that um, and that you have a three-tiered pricing structure, right? Your distribution, your wholesale, your retail—that you're really comfortable with, based on your cost of goods sold, and and yes. that you're confident, right, that that can uh, that if if you know your costs and if you have that structure in place, and then you know you sort of layer in, okay, well, if I have to do quarterly promotions at 20% and I have to like do this one-time fee or whatever it is, um, you know, can I still make money?
2: And that's the key. I mean, because, you know, I have a, I I thought I had a three-tier pricing structure that made sense, but if you throw in a ten thousand dollars sign-on and and you know multiple free fills and the promotion thing, and then you you have to fold your own shipping and potentially buybacks into that, suddenly like and that's all on my margin, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So there's that. So that's why each of those contracts totally rewrites whether the three-tier system I've written up is is um, lucrative or not. Number one and number two, they change they change your pricing. So, like suddenly now, if I'm if I'm if I was offering the product at 15 to wholesalers, distributors are buying it at 13. They want me to now offer my product at 19.50 per unit to wholesalers. So, suddenly the wholesalers that I'm getting outside of a distributor are not getting the margin that they used to because I'm working with a distributor. Right. Um well and that, so
0: then you have to sort of back into it, right? So that they can get that margin, right?
2: And that's then yeah. So then my option is like, okay, I'm gonna offer them like uh I'm gonna offer them free fills that compensate for that additional mm-hmm. cost for them that brings it down, you know, to like back down, but I can't tell the distributor that. <laughs> so <laughs> it gets a little dicey.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean pricing is definitely an art and and a
2: science right i think mm-hmm. you know um yeah, it, yeah and but, then and then it's like a continually wondering like it, in what possible way can i reduce my costs on my end without compromising quality um and so you know it's just like a constant a constant question mark and, and exploration and investigation and um, with such a big you know
0: upfront cost especially i i I don't remember this sort of new vendor fee, but again, I know distributors are more and more trying to mitigate that risk. Right. And it feels like sort of a retainer for them of, Hey, like you don't have a list of accounts that we can sell to right away. So we're going to take this money and sort of put it aside to help fund the storage of your, pallets that are sitting in this warehouse for three to six months while we wait for sales to come in, right?
2: Right. Um, yeah. It, so, and there's there's that, and the, and then you know the, there's the broker fee of five to ten percent too, um, who are allegedly selling for you to these larger accounts. Right. Um, so it, it, does, yeah. it does add up, and I guess I mean, I guess I'm so curious from you know now now you sort of seen this view into my kind of early position like what do you you know what do you think in terms of like should i start should i should i start small should i go you know go for broke or is there a middle path um yeah i mean to me i think i
0: immediately think about sort of this uh this the opportunity cost of this new vendor fee as okay well on the podcast last time we talked about whether you should launch a ready to drink, right? And it sounds like based on these distributor fees, you would you could either launch a ready to drink or you could hire a distributor. And you know, I think I might even share some of the advice I shared last time, which is because there is such a high cost to you know, jumping into distribution, you really don't want to do it until you are absolutely, you know, you're ready and you know, you've got sort of the team, you know, you've got the brand awareness, you know, you've like, you've fixed all of the little label things, right? You've, you've made sure your packaging is, is exactly where you want it to be. And, and so that once you get in, then you can start coming in, like and moving with with that distributor and feeling really excited that, Hey, we have this partner who can move our product around the country or around this region. And yes, we're aware of all of the the fees associated with it on an ongoing basis, uh, which we've sort of incorporated into our, our pricing and our marketing budget or whatever it is. Um, And and we can take on this one-time fee to, to get things going, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's at the end of the day, it's about,, um, you know, you can you can always go and knock on more doors yourself, I think, right? That's that's always an option to to get the word out there about your product, doing other events and making sure, like I, I don't want you to feel like one, again, it's not this sort of making sure that, okay, you have a distributor now, that's going to just make things so easy going forward right it's it just right. adds another layer of complexity to be honest of admin and you know you you now have this basically new employee that you are working right. with right
2: i mean basically when you know when i back up and look at what you're saying to me it's like there's not there's not a point there's there's not a value of bringing on a distributor until i have some places to distribute to So until I build up, you know, either working on my own, building those accounts or or having the broker build um, those accounts, then there's sort of a sweet spot stepping off point where it it makes sense. We can no longer self-distribute at the volume that we're headed towards or that we're already in. And then that's the moment to jump. And that's when the fees, you know, like the, the cost of entry into distribution is not so painful because it's way more painful to stay where I am and be crushed by, you know, but well, we're not, you know, we're not, right. we're not, we're not at that volume. So there's no, it's like, it would be magical thinking to um, to bring on a distributor when there's no place to distribute to. Um, at yeah. This point. Yeah. 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 And I
0: think one of the other things and you've, you've touched on this a little bit and I, I appreciate your a- acknowledgement that this is, Uh, you know, something to consider at least is, I think one of the most unexpected things that brands forget about when they start working with a distributor is not understanding the true uh, cash flow scenario of what's going to happen for the the next sort of six to 12 months of working with a distributor because typically new brands are gonna be net 90, right? With distribution, maybe net 60 if you're lucky. And so you're, and, and if you're making enough product that, you know, it needs to, if you're making pallets of product, right? You're going to have to front that money in advance either making it yourself or with a co-packer. So let's say day zero, you're out, however much production costs. Net 90, you're you're not getting paid till net 90. And if your first couple of orders are all, you know, free fills that are going to stores for free, then you're actually not getting paid anything for the first 90 days. And so then you've got to get your product moving off the shelf as quickly as possible so that the distributor places another order. And then once they place another order and you're you're back to their sort of not new vendor payment terms of net 30 or 2% net 30 or whatever it is, uh, then you're finally making money. But then you've also out more cash to make more product to get it into their warehouse. And so really, really thinking through what that cash flow uh, scenario looks like for you for the first zero to nine months, I'll call it and making sure you're comfortable with that because you know you don't want to be in a situation where you like ah either i can't make more product all these stores want it right or um or i didn't get paid and i was expecting to and now
2: ah, i can't like i can't run my business so no that's a great point because right now i mean we we get net zero are the vast majority like they just pay us immediately or even the day before we deliver um which amazing yeah idea. um and then you know we have one person who, one company that's net 15 and maybe two that are net 30. so we're you know we're we're we don't have that kind of issue right now um and so if you didn't bring it up i, I don't think it would have occurred to me so i think it's a great a great point to consider and and calculate out Yeah. And when you
0: do it, you know, really think through it uh, from a, like looking at the distributor's contract and okay, worst case scenario, if this and this and this and this happen, are we still going to be okay? Right? Right.
2: Yep. Yeah, that's, um, and again, it just brings me back to, you know, distributors are a great, a great idea, or they're the right idea at the right moment. Um, yes, and yes, exactly. At the wrong moment.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I hear a lot of brands. I have certainly had my, um, you know, scars from distributor stories. And I hear a lot of brands saying like, hey, like this distributor did this to me. And there are plenty of valid stories around that. But at the same time, right, you... You also need to make sure that you remember that they are also running a business, right? That they are trying to mitigate risk just like you. And it's your responsibility to sort of try to at least understand what you're getting into before you sort of jump into it, assuming that, you know, everything best scenario is gonna happen. And, uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's not always, always the case, right?
2: Is there a value to, um, to choosing, so, you know, going from just straight wholesale accounts or working with a broker, but then, but then when I do do my, do engage with a distributor for the first time to go with a very small local distributor where I still, all the, all of the accounts in their book are, are accounts that I could potentially have a personal maintain a personal relationship with. And, um, is, and I'm just not like, I'm like, say it's, I'm using the distributor basically because I've just run out of, um, time and space to, to do the distribution, but within like, you know, a hundred mile radius of our shop. Does, does that make sense? Or is it really a better move to just utilize distribution for the wider, you know, regional or, um, or, uh, uh, Full country. I forget the National.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, one. I would say, right. There are there are your big national distributors. There are plenty of local regional distributors, and ultimately, it's going to come down to that connection between, you know, what what are the retailers' preferred distributors, and then are those distributors, you know, working with those same retailers that are in your in your network. But you you brought up something else that I thought was really interesting, which is, you know, you said that you don't have time to do all the distribution. So one of the other pieces of advice I might share is, okay, well, let's, let's break that down. If you don't have enough time to do the distribution, how are you spending your time right now that is sort of preventing you from being able to do that? For example, I, I mean, I remember when I, I I did this exercise of basically tracking my time for two months, and I found that I was spending seventy percent of my time between driving around making deliveries and producing my product, and and so I very quickly got uh, a UPS account, and now you know I don't make deliveries, right, and uh, and then I found a co-packer, so you know i think as you think about this this question in your mind of hey i need distribution because i don't have time to the to deliver the product myself well what what are the other alternatives here that would allow you to you know find that middle ground potentially or mm-hmm. that would you know maybe give you an extra 10 or 15 hours a week of you know not getting in the car or or doing something else more, more efficiently,
2: potentially. Well, when you said that, it brought up, well, what, you know, what would be the benefit? It sounds like distributors are quite expensive. So because they're mitigating their own risk, but I'm like, what's, why wouldn't I use maybe just fulfillment um, for a while? Like, so, you know, just somebody who handles that part of it, or a company that handles that part of it, and also you're right. Like I'm, I am actively looking for co-packers. They're they're super hard to find in the Bay Area, um, sure, because it's just so expensive here. But I, but that's definitely, and they're two You know, they're two different. Like if I do the ready to drink, that's a co-packer that's separate from the sure, the yeah mixers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I guess that's another question is like why distributor, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Maybe then, you know, the next logical step is is fulfillment, you know, um, and to save that that opportunity cost of being my own UPS driver. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do you think about
0: that? Yeah, I mean, I would look into, you know, see, see what that would cost, I think, right? Yeah, at a minimum, you know, for example, packing up two cases of product and dropping it off at the UPS store is likely you know or or having it picked up from your your warehouse without having to to go anywhere uh is likely more efficient than you know driving around the city finding parking <laughs> uh coming back right it's especially driving in a city it's super inefficient right and so i mean we live in northern virginia 10 minutes from dc and i still do not make deliveries to dc because it's just ends up being an hour and a half of my time to go there, wait it, you know, park, deliver, come back. And it's just the same cost for the, the retailer
2: to spend, you know, $12 to
0: ship a box, right?
2: Totally. I mean, the only benefit of delivering in person is that it is occasionally making a touch point, um And if you can build it into the delivery and then offer some, like even minor training to the staff that you hand it off to and take their picture and then post it. Like there's things that- Oh, sure. Absolutely.
0: But,
2: but by no means, every delivery, no way.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, right. But also, you know, at the same time, you know, and depending on how you have things set up, I know we're straying a little bit from distribution, but I think it's it's interesting that this is sort of the direction that the, the conversation is going.
2: Alternatives to distribution. Right, right. If distribution uh, is at the right right at this moment, so to me that
0: seems reasonable. Yeah, I think where it becomes most inefficient is, for example, if you end up just delivering every day of the week, right, and you get stuck not bashing all of your deliveries in one day, or you get stuck not, um, oh, these guys placed an order, oh, they're such a good account, like I have to go deliver to them right now, I have to drop everything I'm doing and go, go deliver them to them right now. I think we've probably all done that at some point, right? uh and so it's uh it's it's figuring out how to make your schedule more efficient right and those sales those sales you're you're what you talked about before was you're basically doing these sales calls to all of these stores at the same time you're making your delivery, but how can you uh how can you make your delivery uh how can you make those sales calls really efficient and instead of you know just going to one store in a day, you go around to to 25 in one day rather than like 5 on one day, 5 on another and then you're sort of breaking up your day every time.
2: Totally. What when I I know that I'm I need to change my time management when um like for instance I like if I'm spending all my time doing production or distribution or or development and I'm not doing any marketing or sales, then suddenly the the the, the need for distribution will drop absolutely (laughs) that that will tell me like oh you know what you've made a grave error like you need to get back on the phone you need to get back on the email you need to go um and and so yeah there's definitely I I and maybe other maybe other um business owners do this too but I love being in the back you know like if I if I could just hide in the back and (laughs) go develop product and pack it beautifully and ship it and just pretend that i don't own the company like that that would just make my day but unfortunately <laughs> the company wouldn't exist without me doing the things that i'm supposed to be doing and so i have to like i have to move from my introvert happy place to that like extrovert Da-da-da-da, you know um yeah no i mean
0: i think i think there's probably a lot of uh brands that can can relate to that in some way and at the end of the day um, you just need to decide number one, like what you really want for yourself and for for this business, and how how big or small you want it to be. And that is usually going to be a result of you know how you how you're choosing to spend your time running the business, right? And uh, and so, or you know, choosing who you choose to hire to support, you know. Your strengths and weaknesses, right?
2: Yeah, I mean it comes back to an, an earlier conversation we had that I just want it to be the most successful version of itself at each stage. So you know, if I'm small, I want to be an amazing small company. If I'm medium size, I want to be you know brilliant medium size. If I if I go really big and then I you know I, I say okay, it makes sense to have a distributor and have all these other you know facets. I want I want to nail it. Um, and I have to, at the same time, accept that there's going to be this messy process of in, uneven, imperfect, learn-as-you-go growth. Because, um, you know, you can't, like, you have to stretch for something in order to get to it, or, or sure. it's not the time, um, like we just talked about earlier. So it's just wrapping my mind around all of that. Um, is such a great exercise. Um, I feel like it, it grounds me in reality and um, and not sort of like thinking that these random things are going to solve my problems, um, you know, minus, minus methodical, um, you know, uh, growth and development. Yeah, no, I love that.
0: Uh, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Uh, let's, before, before we wrap up though, uh, Julieta, tell me, we, we've this conversation has transitioned from should you bring on a distributor should to should you hire a fulfillment group, which is great i I think this is this is how it usually goes, right but tell me tell me a couple next steps for you uh, that you think would be helpful for you to move forward with this decision in in one way or another
2: mm-hmm. um, I'm going to continue to work with the broker um, for them to develop our you know, uh, get accounts that I don't want to pursue, but I need, um, because in terms of my my kind of sales pyramid, I, I have all these kind of cool, interesting, small accounts at the top. I don't have that base in my company, that's just that workhorse, big, big volume or, or larger volume, um, and I'm so that that's kind of the, where it needs to grow, or or somebody else can help me do that while I continue to grow up here. Um, and then you know i'm going to continue to keep evaluating the value of of a distributor um and i guess maybe look at smaller more regional distributors um first and um and then work on my packaging they gave me some really interesting feedback and uh keep looking for a co-packer and (laughs) (laughs) don't forget to go running with my dog in the morning and uh, all the
0: things all the things
2: (laughs) yeah because if it's not fun you know after a while it doesn't matter how how much good business sense it is I'm not going to do any of this you know um so in order to avoid a mutiny we have to give uh, (laughs) solid union breaks and and I love it it. (laughs) I love it awesome uh Julietta,
0: thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, maybe we can do a a third episode at some point and make this a, a three part series. Um, anyway, I realize this is a, a bit unconventional to uh, to have the same guest back on, but I think this is a really interesting and relevant topic that I know so many of our Retail Ready students and uh, Food Biz with listeners will appreciate. So, uh, in case everybody missed it last time, can you let our listeners know again where they can find you?
2: Sure. Um, uh, so if you go to our website, say C E Y B O there's a list of all of our retailers, um, and events. We have an events page. We have a retailers page. You can check that out. We're also on Instagram at Sabon. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I would say start there. Um, you can always email me, <laughs> And ask me uh, if you'd like to have our our products in your local store. I'd love to hear about that too. So
0: amazing, uh,
2: Julieta! Thank you so much. Uh,
0: absolutely loved this conversation. Looking forward to hearing how it goes for you. Maybe we'll uh, we'll check in in another uh, six six to nine months and see see where you are. Uh, and uh, all my food business listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Julieta from Sable. This is exactly the type of one-on-one consulting that I do exclusively for retail-ready students day in and day out. I, as always, can't wait to hear what you thought of the episode, and I will be in your ears next month.
1: Thanks for listening to Food Biz Whiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.